You're listening to the Pimp Cron Podcast. Welcome, one and all, to episode 55 of the Pimpcron Warhammer Podcast. And this week, we have a special treat for you. I have always loved Sable Army Transports, and no, this is not a commercial before you say that. I actually asked him if he would be willing to be interviewed on the show, and he did not approach me. I approached him. Uh, so I, we have a very interesting interview with him about how the cases are actually made, how he went designing them, his history as a gamer, and uh, some of the business aspects of you know Sable Army Transports. So that is very exciting. We also have an email from Brindley from Canada, and we get a full explanation of a bunch of the great things about Kings of War. No, I'm not turning this into a Kings of War podcast, but I am pretty interested in it recently, and, uh, you know, this is a, this email is a very good explanation of exactly some of the perks of playing Kings of War, and some backstory as to why some people switch over to Kings of War. So, this is going to be a little bit long of an episode compared to normal, so I'm just going to shut up now. Um, those are the only two segments for the show because the interview is fairly long, but I think it's very interesting as well. I have, in my personal life, I played Caradron Overlords versus Beastmen this last Wednesday, and we tied. It was 16-16, to 16, and it was a very cool game. If he didn't have so much summoning, he would not be still on the board. But we tied, and I have been painting a lot of Caradron Overlords. I have painted a five-man squad of Grunstock Thunders. I have almost finished my Ironclad, but the problem is the Ironclad is such a beautiful and detailed model and big that every time I turn around, I find something else that I missed. And I'm like, oh, damn, there's a little lantern there. I never noticed that lantern. And then, you know, I'm like, oh, crap, there's a viewport. I never noticed the viewport. So it's a, uh, it's, it's just one of those things. It's kind of driving me crazy because I keep wanting to call this model done. And then I see, oh, there's a tiny button panel next to a door. So um, also I had to, they, I don't know if you've seen the Caradron Overlord ships or not, but this ironclad is held up by a tiny, tiny slanted clear peg. And that is a no-go for me because I know it's going to snap off and I can't glue it into the ship because it's going to snap off. And it was so heavy that the tension of the ball inside the socket was not, not enough to hold it in one place. So I ended up cutting a plus in the front of the hull, in the bottom of it, um, and uh, putting it on a regular flight stand. And it looks fine. It's fine. So uh, that would be the keel of the boat, by the way. The, um, the bottom ridge of a boat is called the keel. So I cut that into the keel. Yes, I'm full of nautical knowledge. Let's get on with the show. Let's open the Tesseract mailbox. Welcome to another edition of the Tesseract mailbox. And this week we have a message from Brindley. I hope I'm saying your name right. I apologize if I'm not. Brindley emails at pimpcron at gmail.com is where he sent this message. You can also send messages to facebook.com slash pimpcron. And what are they talking about? It's episode 54 follow-up is what this email is entitled. It says, Hey Pimpcron, my name's Brindley and I'm from Montreal, Canada. I recently started following your podcast and couldn't help but reply after your last episode where you discussed Kings of War. 
I just wanted to explain some of my love behind the game and why, in a way, I'm actually happy that the death of fantasy led me to Kings. For context, I've been playing war games since I started 40k about 14 years ago, played fantasy until it died, and enjoyed Warma Hordes for a while in Mark II. I am now one of many in the Kings of War community known as a Warhammer refugee, owing to the fact that we were left out on the streets when GW decided to blow up our old world and replace it with plot lines written by an imaginative 12-year-old. <laughs> if you can't tell, I'm still salty about it. This also coincided with the release of Kings of War 2nd Edition four years ago. Since that time, I've had Kings of War become far and away the best miniatures war game I've ever played. There are several major aspects that resulted in this. Number one, the clean and easy to understand rules. For example, you can get through all 21 armies in an hour to two hours of reading, making learning the game a breeze, and I never have to ask my opponent about which one of a hundred stratagems they're using. Everything is available in one to two pages from Easy Army, so there are no gotcha moments as are commonplace to 40k and AOS. Number two, being able to apply rule of cool to literally every army I have, to the point of some armies containing miniatures from three to four companies. This makes things so simple for anyone with old fantasy armies to start playing right away, and I have recently been using a thematic Kingdoms of Men list using Lord of the Rings Gondor minis. Number three, having a company that I can respect because it listens to the community, seriously works on having a well-balanced game, and works to avoid any power curve with time. For example, Ronnie Renton, who is the main figurehead of Mantic, actually follows the main Kings of War Facebook pages and responds to the odd thread with minis he likes. Number four, lastly and most importantly of all is the tournament scene. Balance and rules aside, the community of this game is amazing. Every... Even top tables consist of some of the friendliest people you could ever meet, where they will happily let you go back on your moves you missed, let you know when you missed an attack, or explain their th thought process when they want to try out a certain set of maneuvers. I've made great friends from all over the United States, and would seriously consider this game as one of the best things to happen for me. One of the main reasons we go to GTs now is just to hang out with everyone. Sorry about the wall of text. Didn't expect it to go that way. If you have any questions about the game, I'd be happy to answer them, and I'd suggest checking out some of the Facebook groups like the Countercharge page, Kings of War Fanatics, or the page of whatever region you may fall in. I'm sure it wouldn't be difficult at all to find one of my buddies to set up a game with you to get you going. Hope this helps, Brindley. So, thank you very much for writing in, Brindley. I'm very excited to hear from Canada, our neighbor in the north, and... I also have been slowly and gently, uh, expertly, you may say, flirting with Kings of War recently. I've been looking at some of the free rules, and I've been looking at some of the miniatures, and it, it's really exciting me. I want to play a demo game sometime soon. And this actually leads into some more interesting news, that the, um, the I guess it's the Mid-Atlantic Region Tournament uh, organizer has contacted me, and they are going to be joining Shorehammer this year with a Kings of War two-day tournament. So I am very excited about that. I think it'd be really nice to have a melting pot of Warhammer and, you know, Kings of War. And then, of course, we have X-Wing and all that at Shorehammer this year. So, Brendley, maybe one of these days you'll actually come down to Ocean City, Maryland. That's probably quite a trek for you. <laughs> but, uh, you know, you know, hopefully one of these days you guys will come down to Shorehammer.
I do appreciate you listing all the things you like about it because actually exactly what you've listed is the type of things I've been looking about online about Kings of War. Why do people play it? Why do people prefer it? You know, how is it different from Warhammer? And that's actually partially why I went over that uh, that summary last week because, you know, I was interested in it. And I thought, well, maybe someone else would be interested in it. And that is pretty much all I've got to say. I'm excited about the new tournament we're adding for Kings of War. And I'm excited to try it. I just need to find someone to play it with me. And... Uh, I think that's it. So thank you for writing in, Brindley. I greatly appreciate it. And hopefully you've helped some people at home, uh, you know, find some things they like about Kings of War. And you might have even helped your community by piquing interest. And that, uh, you know, the community that you mentioned actually reminds me a lot of how Shorehammer is. Everybody's friendly. Everyone, you know, is, is forgiving when you make a mistake or whatever. And uh, it sounds like Kings of War is going to be sitting very nicely into our event. So, thanks again for writing in, Brindley. Now it's time for Real Talk with Pentcron. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Real Talk with the Pentcron, and today I am joined by a very, very cool guest, somebody that you probably all know his last name, and that would be Matt Sable from Sable Army Transport. Hello, Matt. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. Doing very well. Thank you. And I appreciate you being on the show because, um, first things first, I have been a fan of your Army Transports literally since I started 10 years ago. Uh, it was the very first Army Transport I bought, and I have uh, a lot of armies, and <laughs> they're pretty much all in Sable Army Transports. So um, I, I really like your product. Well, I'm happy to hear that. I thank you very much for that. And it, it repeat business, as you know, is always a great thing. Absolutely. So I want to start out by asking exactly um, how long have you been in this hobby, the whole wargaming tabletop hobby to start with? Well, um, I started, I think, back in 99, uh, right at the very cusp of uh, third edition being released um, of Warhammer 40K. Uh, I had a copy of Rogue Trader and read it cover to cover, not knowing anything about it, just like fascinated with the with the lore and then uh eventually started with uh second edition played two or three games way back when when space wolves had uh terminators that had three different guns on them and it was just crazy ridiculousness that's that's news to me i didn't know about that i started in fifth so that's this is all before me oh okay (laughs) i'm a little bit aged i guess Well, it's pretty cool. It's it's really neat that you actually experienced more of it than I did, because sometimes I kind of wish I did start. Uh, I mean, I was too young to start back in Rogue Trader, but I kind of wish I did get started earlier because some of that old stuff sounds pretty cool. Um, Rogue Trader and second edition and all of that. The game was so very different than it is today. Oh, yes. You had uh, I played against a guy, but first game I played, he had a number of Terminators and Tarantulas and uh, lots of guns, but I think if I'm not mistaken, the Terminator could have a cyclone missile launcher and an assault cannon and a power fist and a range finder or something <laughs> on one model. Good God. And, yeah, and he had a ton of them. So it's like, oh, okay, well, here's my stuff and I'm up here. Oh, and roll some dice. Now you're dead. Well, that was great. I'm glad I made the investment. <laughs> so do you still actively play today? Yes. Um, in fact, well, playing has not ne- never been really the big thing for me. Um, modeling is by far the, the most entertaining I have. Um, 
had over the years. I developed a second business uh, doing um, custom terrain and scenery for years and years, and I've been very happy doing that. Hmm. Also, I managed three game stores and uh, was a co-owner in one up until recently. So, wow. I've been very heavily involved in the back door of the business, if you will. Um, never really big on tournament play or the competitive scene by any stretch. But hmm. I do play almost weekly, at least once a game. And you're still talking about 40K, right? Uh, yeah, mostly 40K. I do play Age of Sigmar. I also uh, just picked up Warcry, and I'm very happy with that. Oh. Uh, I play a lot of different games workshop games. Um, <laughs> well, um, I am also a fan of Age of Sigmar. I'm liking it more and more. Um, I, I started Age of Sigmar when it first came out and did not like it without the points. Were you involved during that whole debacle for the first year? Uh, I played fifth, sixth, seventh, um, and then when the Age of Sigmar switched over, I looked at it. I was wanting to play it, but I didn't have anybody else to play it with. And that first edition, where you with the giant, you put the model down your pants or something silly like that. I'm like, what? yeah, measure I'm your like, beards and all that. Yeah, I was I was very <laughs> skeptical as to where that was going to go, but I knew that GW had the license or they had their property of their license well in hand. And that they knew that they made a mistake. So I was just, I waited and then uh, they did fix it and had the points. And I was very pleased to see that. So I, another question I have for you is, to my knowledge, you were kind of the first army transport company. Is this true or was there someone before you? Because I know Sayball is like the at least one of the oldest army transport companies. There's a million, you know, army transport companies out there, but Sable seems to be the one that really stands out for as long as I've been involved in the whole hobby. All right. Well, what happened to me is I was managing a game store in 99 and we had uh, metal hormigons were, were the thing. If you mm-hmm. remember the horrible models, they were, uh, <laughs> very spindly arms and fell apart if you looked at them funny. Yep. And I noticed there were a number of customers that had them and were using the Games Workshop uh, hard shell black plastic case with the red foam. And Mm. I said, and they were, you know, they were transporting their stuff around in paper bags and and shoe boxes and that box and this, that, and the other thing. I was like, this looks really unprofessional. It doesn't look cool. It makes you look like you're, a, you know, a bag lady carrying all your stuff around. <laughs> yeah. And everything was getting broken in the in the process. So I sat down and I was like, you know, there's got to be something better. And I kept looking and I looked and there was nobody else at the time. Chessex had another small case, but they were base, basically called like 30 miniatures for D&D type thing uh, games. Mm. So I developed... Uh, uh, through a lot of research, I figured out uh, the idea of pluck foam that might be better suited for miniature gaming, as we all know that the miniatures come in all different shapes and sizes and not always created equal. So when I found the pluck foam from one source and I started working with that, and then I was like, okay, well, now I need something to put it in. I started, I found a bag source and ended up putting the two together, and I developed uh, Army Transport in the late 99 and started selling it in 2000. 
Nice. So I am interested to find out um, how on earth does one even begin to make something like this? You know, you're not Games Workshop. You're not some, you know, huge company or, or whatever. How do you even begin to start making the production for, you know, the, the prototypes? I mean, did you sew it yourself? Like, how does this I've always been fascinated with exactly how you start an undertaking like this. Well, it, it was it. This was back in the 28K modem days, so it was a matter of enjoying the pleasure of waiting for uh, an email to be sent. And, you know, I just sourced out by, you know, looking out for people that were in different industries doing things that might be applicable to the gaming industry. Mm -hmm. Reaching out to the right people, talking to the right people, finding things that, that suited and finding both a case manufacturer and a foam supplier, and then I melded the two together. I started off in my basement, actually, with uh, wood glue, and we were uh, basically, I had wood glue in uh, baby um, powder bottles, squirting the glue out, and the, the glue the tray to the to make trays out of pluck foam, and uh, putting it together there, and just started advertising on eBay, and or selling on eBay, and through some local stores, and got the word out pretty rapidly because so, good was pluck foam already a thing or did you have this like was this specifically made for you or was pluck thing already like had some other application pluck foam was out there but it was for uh different types of industries um similar to uh aircraft manufacturing or parts manufacturing uh for prototyping and that kind of thing it was not nearly as knowledgeable or no known at the time as a, as what i'm using it for so oh. i was the first yes to create or to use it in the gaming industry um army transport is trademarked uh, i did go through quite a few uh experiments with uh lawyers and that kind of thing to get all that done and that is my trademark as a single word wow and that's that's amazing because that's become synonymous with the entire industry of, you know, they might have their name for their transport, but anybody would go, oh, that's an army transport. <laughs> you know, it's it's funny that when you when you're one of the the originators of an industry, a lot of things are actually come from you and nobody notices it, you know. Yeah, um, I've had uh, I've had a number of dealings with I won't name their names, but other people who are in my competitors, if you will, that have either tried to tell me that they that I can't do what I've been doing, even though I'm the first to do it, or uh, using the same shape and design uh, of my bags and my trays and saying that it is my stuff, where I've had to go back and say, no, it's not. Oh. Or, people, or people coming to me through my website or whatever saying, hey, I've got a blank, blank case and I need this type of uh, tray. And said, well, uh, I've never provided that. You're talking about my competitor. <laughs> and it's been, it has been a rather humorous nightmare to deal with some of these uh some of these other individuals but you know it is competition and we are americans and apparently we like that so i you know i just nod my head and go on to the next so where is there any t uh, particular destinations for your transports when you're filling these orders and things um have there been any addresses that surprise you, such as like, I'll say, you know, the Philippines or some far off place that just struck you as, oh, wow, people are buying my transports from that region? 
Uh, yes, actually. Um, well, I am international. I've been all over. Uh, I saw over to New Zealand, Australia, a lot of the European nations. I uh, sent to Moscow. Uh, um, where the drugs are from? Colombia. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, okay. Army transport carrying foam. Okay, <laughs> who knows if it's been uh, seized or not? I've had, um, you know, obviously Canada, all over the United States, Puerto Rico, all that type of stuff. Sometimes a couple in Japan, but um, like every now and then, it's really amusing. I get. Uh, an American address that's really strange. So, in fact, this past week I had one that was uh, number number Mountain Desert Harbor was the street name. Oh wow, that sounds like a fantasy land. <laughs> yeah, Mount- here's three land or uh, uh, geographical locations that have nothing to do with each other. Yeah, that is really odd. So what was your first army transport you started? Was it the, what I call the classic one, which is the one that I started with the one, the single, single stack, you know, with the zipper in front and all the um, Velcro pouch in front. Yeah. That, that is what I call the standard army transport. And I'm trying, not trying to change it much. It's good. It's always been the same design, same shape. I have, you know, added an extra zipper or some other pocket here or there, but that is the standard case. Then I bumped up to, or bumped down to a half size case for, which is the platoon. Then I put that side by side and made the the motor pool. Then mm-hmm. doubled that in height and made the armored company, and then put wheels on it and a handle and made that the division, which are the six available cases we have now. Now I might be wrong in this. Do you have one that's a backpack with backpack straps? I, I do have a, a Mark II. I believe last I checked it was Mark III. Now, unfortunately, um, yeah, that is a one that has backpack straps, and that was actually asked for by a customer. It's like I'm, I ride a motorcycle and needed a way to carry my stuff around. Like, wow, you know, <laughs> that's a new one. Nice. Uh, but uh, as of late, I have been unfortunately very low on, or have not had stock for quite some time on a number of these cases because of our trade tariffs with China, and some difficulties I've had with dealing with new people on the other side of the pond oh Uh, i did try to manufacture here in the united states in fact in savannah georgia and to give you an example let's just say i'm going to pull numbers out and these are not accurate but let's just say that a case that normally would cost me five dollars to manufacture in china cost me 25 dollars here in the united states to give you an idea I, I am not surprised by that at all. I mean, you know, the state cost of living and all of that is much higher here. Wages are much higher here. All of that. Yeah. So it was it was very difficult for me to uh, I was I was so happy to be manufacturing here, but I lost all money on it. So it was a so I'm in the process of finding another supplier to manufacture overseas. It's just been a very bad uh, experience as of late. Um, while I do have quite a bit of inventory here in the in the states, it's not of the there are cases that I do not have currently. Um, I'd also like to mention that um, my trays uh, are made here in the United States. Well, um, now you always hear these nightmares from Kickstarter about people dealing with China across the sea. 
um, you know, like like orders are late or orders aren't right or what, like uh, literally a billion different issues with because you're so far away. It's not like you could just go up to their office and talk to them, up, you know, face to face. So I'm sure you've had your share of issues like this, right, in production. Oh, yes. And money <laughs> lost. Lots and lots and lots of money lost. Really? Yeah. This is a question I can ask you and also um, something I've always wanted to ask Kickstarter people is how on earth do you even begin the process of contacting an appropriate company from China? I'm assuming there's like intermediaries or, yeah. you know, like agents. Yes, um, there are. And there happen to be quite prolific um, middlemen, if you will, that are here in the States that will represent, quote, their factory or their buddy, their factory over in, in China. And if you have something like my case, for instance, and I send it through the to the middleman and the middleman sends it to china then the china guy basically slices it up cuts it up measures it up and then sends back a a uh an app, a, their version of a copy and then it comes back to me and then i approve it and then it goes back to them and then back and forth so the whole process just for one case might take you know probably a month or th- month to three months for them wow. to figure out what they're doing get all the approvals and then it, then they ask for a significant amount of money on top of that. Then oh, I, I bet. So, so I'm, I'm assuming that um, you're just talking about for new designs, right? Because I would any, think that any design, you, well, don't they have like the old, you know, templates or whatever well, if I have to go with a new guy? Yes. Uh, or no. I mean, I, they have to start from scratch. So I don't have, oh, there wow. isn't like, there isn't like a master template or a master design somewhere. Um, it quote becomes property of the of the China factory, so to speak. And I guess they wouldn't even necessarily be using the same, let's say, program or machinery or whatever. They could be using something completely different, different brand, different, uh, you know, age to the equipment or anything. So the even if you had like a template file or whatever you could give them, that might not even be applicable or usable for the stuff they have. Correct. And right. they, they um, from my experience, they've been very willing to, you know, I'll send them a case, they'll tear it apart and uh, cut it up and measure it and send me back something that looks exactly the same. It's, wow. it's funny how well that they do that. And this is just, uh, you know, a case manufacturing, if you will. Um, I couldn't imagine what it would be for a miniature, you know, like, like China's uh, recently gotten in trouble so much, uh, as they call uh, forge casters doing forge world stuff. Oh yeah. Yeah. I imagine that's quite a big industry because you know, I'm sure they can do it for a fraction of the price of the, of the G after the GW markup and all that, you know? Absolutely. And you know, I have known some people that have been involved with certain avenues of that aspect. And it's like, yeah, that's not going to end well for you. Yeah. I imagine not. So do you have any new products on the horizon? Anything? I mean, because when I look at your website, you pretty much have everything covered. You've got stuff for small skirmish games. You've got the classic case, or at least that's what I call it. You've got the larger ones. You've got them on wheels. You've got backpacks. you got all the stuff. Is there anything on the horizon that you plan on doing to add to your line? Or is that pretty much covering all bases? Um, I'm pretty much covered uh, as far as new products for the time being. I'm, like I said earlier, I'm trying to get the a new manufacturer, a new supplier for the cases overseas to get uh, the old cases back in stock and to, um, and then of course get that ball rolling and then totally revamp the website and 
go for a much better, flashier, if you will, uh, look. Um, when it boils down to the bottom line, it's basically a piece of luggage and some foam trays. And while I'm not going to put down my own product, I'm very proud of it for many years. It's not that exciting. You know, it's a case. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, when it comes to making that purchase, when someone's you know playing with their with with toy soldiers, is the shiny new toy soldier more exciting and and a better quote investment for their money, or do they need to protect the investment that they've already done, you know that they've already started investing in? And that's where I step up and I say, okay, here's the affordable, longest known and best carrying case for what you get. That's me. I, I would have to agree with you, and obviously, I've already stated I'm a fanboy. You didn't ask me to interview you. I asked to interview you. So, like, this is not just an advertising thing, because I, I really did want to interview you. Um, but to me, I, you know, I see a lot of these other cases, and they all have, and I don't want to name any names, but they all have, like, funky colors, and they have a, a, a cutesy name, or they have, it it's all seems very gimmicky to me. Compared to just like, hey, here's my army transport. It's you know reasonably priced and it you know yeah. does exactly what you want it to do. <laughs> like, yeah, it, you know. it, it never seemed to make a whole lot of sense to me to to manufacture a case that you need to make six different colors for, and six different names for you know each game that you're playing or faction that you're playing because people are constantly changing. I've been through personally probably thirty or forty you know gigantic sized armies Good where God. lots and lots and lots of models and their uh, cases and trays to carry it all. Whereas why would you need a case that's, you know, red that's got for game B and game C and game D have one generic black, simple, always named the same army transport case. And that's why I've never gone into that venture. And I don't see the, the purpose in paying a, a paying somebody to put their logo on it when I already have my own logo and I'm quote generic as, as you will. Yeah. But I mean, like you say, when you, you know, when you think of soda, you think Coke or Pepsi, they're one of the original ones. When you think army transports, usually you think of Sable army transports. It's just one of those things you might say it's, you know, standard or basic or, or uh, I don't know. It's the go-to. Yeah, it's it's not, you know, there, there seems to be like every day there's a new army transport uh, company popping up. But yeah. they all seem come and go. <laughs> yes. Around since 99, I, I've seen quite a few of them. Yes. And, and, and enjoyed the some of the legal battles that other people have uh, put out and blah, blah, blah. And the other thing. <laughs> yeah. I do have to say, though, that for anybody that is wondering if army transports are worth it and whether that's Sable or anybody else, just army transports in general. We've had a couple episodes before about how to make your own army transports. And actually, then even then I said, you know, here's some companies, including Sable, that make army transports. You don't have to make it yourself necessarily. But um, Just James has very few army transports and he has more armies than I do. And he's doing the bag lady thing, like you've said, where he, you know, he's he's practically pushing a shopping cart full of models into the gaming store. Like he's, you know, he's got them in Tupperware and he's got them in bags and he's got them in this and that. And his stuff, I mean, he takes the time to assemble it. He takes the time to paint it. And then by the time he's playing with it, once it gets transported, it's all broken to shit. Like it's, you know, everybody's the 
bow and arrows are snapped off or the spikes are snapped off or and i just keep telling them dude just get army transports either make your own or buy them or whatever but it is definitely worth if you're going to spend hundreds of dollars and probably hundreds of hours of painting on these models it's definitely worth just protecting them it's like an insurance policy that's very much what i was saying earlier you know it, it while it is just a case and while it is just foam it's the new the new shiny toy that comes out is always more exciting and that's the purchase that usually takes the cake but once you make that investment in both time and money on the miniatures the best thing to do is to protect, is to protect it and i am the it, i have the world's leader in the affordable and longest running company that's been selling army transport now, I also can't speak to other companies, but because I have so many of yours, I know this firsthand, is that all of your trays, um, they match each other. Like all of your cases, the smaller foam trays will fit. They might be side by side, but they fit in the larger ones just fine, right. And w- which has been nice because I transferred all my stuff from my two Necron Army transports into one big ar- Necron Army transport, and they still fit just fine. Everything matched up. It wasn't, you know, some wonky shape or whatever, and I don't know if other companies do that but at least i can speak to the fact that that yours does it's all applicable you know with um the only exception would be that some of my larger cases i bought um single piece foam because you know it's like one big square of foam right and i cannot uh the dye that is used to cut the trays for the double wide trays for instance uh, has to be a larger size. They can't. I, I would try, tried and tried and tried to get them to to change the die for the the stamp because what it the way that the pluck foam is made is it's literally a large razor blades and the designed and put on on a block of wood that is uh, dulled on the corners and it's basically a grid of, of razor blades or and mm. it goes through a the foam is cut by the thickness and then it goes through a stamping process where this, this die comes down and, and stamps it. And we make thousands of trays at a time in the factory. And then it, then it gets glued together, etc. cetera. But um, the larger trays cannot handle the smaller die uh, for the smaller cubes, unfortunately for the pluck. So that's why the, the, the cubes are so much larger on them. I've always been very, uh, adamant since the, I started this that I wanted to make sure that I come up with a size and a shape that I will always keep standardized and if you keep changing the size you're going to alienate customers in one way or another or I've, I've been people asking me to try, uh, do laser cut foam I said well that's fine and that I guess it works but I like to convert my models almost everything I own is converted so unless you do it, you know, trace a template for that model, you are going to have a different shape every time. So yeah. a laser cut tray, while it does its job, it will do it only for that job. And if you have somebody else design a tray that says, hey, this is what you need, and it's got the same shape for four models, and you're only playing with two of them, you've got a lot of wasted space. So the plug foam is why I've always been and always will be adamant that that is the best answer for the overall story. 
Yeah, it's the most versatile. Um, I have uh, I have a friend that we call Bliggity Blam Steve because he's always saying Bliggity Blam. It's a long story there, Matt. But the uh, he he's got some army transports. We all need one of those in our lives, a Bliggity Blam. <laughs> yeah, he's got uh, you know he likes he likes the expensive nice things in life, and uh, of course he you know he ordered foam from a company that had you know. Uh, custom cut shapes for every single one of his models, you know, and and there's design template online and all that. And it's kind of funny because uh, uh, some of his stuff he's glued together and it doesn't fit the shape that, that the thing was cut for, even though it's the right model. But, you know, sometimes you, you, you know, change a wing position or whatever, and that's kind of funny to me. <laughs> In in a morbid way, in a mean way, that's kind of funny to me. Channel my my inner Homer Simpson. Don't. Yeah. <laughs> so um, but uh, yeah, no, the the larger cut uh, squares don't bother me at all because I always put the single piece in my in my large transport, the single solid piece I always put on the very bottom anyway, and of course I only use that with my vehicles and and large or you know monsters or whatever. So I didn't. I noticed that the squares were larger, but I just figured it's because you're expecting them to use for vehicles anyway. It's not like it's an infantry thing. Correct. That was that was the initial design idea that I had with that. Absolutely. So the only, you know, I own, um, I don't know if I own every type of your transport, but I own many of them. Most of them are the classic because I just kept buying the classic because I liked it. And pretty much I can fit you know, anything that I'm taking to the game store in one of those, like occasionally, like when I bring my Necrons, I just bring my whole, everything I own for Necrons in one of the big cases. But, um, generally, uh, even when I had the Necrons in two smaller cases, I would just bring one of the cases to the game store and not the other one. Cause you know, I would know pretty much what I was going to play that night or whatever. I don't have to bring the whole damn army to the store. Um, but, um, uh, what was I going to say? Man, I lost my train of thought again. <laughs> it's been a long day, Matt. It's actually, it's been a long summer. I am, I am burned out. I'm um, very What was I just saying? Um, about the single tray. Well, I, I don't remember what I was saying then, but, um, anyway, do you have anything else that you want to, um, to mention or anything like that? Um, off the top of my head, uh, I would, uh, I would ask, I, I would ask for your listeners to, uh, take a couple minutes at a time and, you know, go to my less than wonderfully perfect and the beautiful schnazzy, uh, website and go to the sales and special page and sign up for our newsletter. While I don't post news or do a whole lot of stuff on it, I do post sales, which I regularly have or somewhat regularly have. In fact, I always have a Black Friday week sale, which is pretty remarkable as far as a, a value is concerned. And uh, I always have one during my birthday also in July. <laughs> but, um, it's just a, a good way for me to get my get the word out that there's, you know, uh, hey, I've got whatever information that I have, I will post and send a newsletter for that. Sure. Now, what is your website address? It's uh, www.sableSABOLdesigns.net. Okay, and without sounding like too much of a uh, infomercial for this, 
Um, I I did want to say that you know your your website is is very you know normal like it like you said it's not flash or anything like that but your army transports kind of reflect your mentality and your website does too because your army transports they don't have a million colors because I think that's kind of frivolous anyway but they're not they don't have a gimmick behind them they're kind of like uh, I don't know how you're going to take this but they're kind of the workman's transport like they're functional. They've been around for a long time. They're, you know, the standard for the industry, basically, and they get the job done. You don't have to pay a lot more money for fancy bells and whistles because, honestly, it's an army transport. It's intended to protect your army, and that's what it does. That's you know what exactly I mean? the plan. That's exactly the mentality and exactly the idea that I've always had and maintain. It, it doesn't need to be fancy. It's a case to carry your stuff to keep it protected. <laughs> I can't. Yeah. That, you can't. I can say it over and over. And it, it, that is what it is, and and I'm happy and proud of it. And like I said, it's been my bread and butter and my only source of income for uh, 20 years, or Jesus, not since '99. That's and amazing. It, That's really yeah. impressive. It has supported uh, the lifestyle that I'm happy with for many years, and that and I have an offshoot uh, website that is currently in the works being reworked for Sable Studios, which is my custom terrain and, uh, and uh, conversion models and that kind of stuff. Now you don't have that out yet. Uh, I had it. I have got hundreds and I've got well over 400 pictures of projects I've done for clients. Um, all of, you know, the utmost quality that I can produce and, um, I'm not, like I said earlier, I'm on AOL. I don't understand computers. Something happened and I'm trying to get it redone. And it's, it's a total nightmare. Oh, but it will be up again at some point. Yes, yes. And uh, in fact, coming up in uh, November, uh, our local group is doing a rather large uh, fourth year tournament called Warzone Atlanta. And uh, I will be uh, producing uh, well over... Uh, 10 tables for their tournament they'll have wow. uh, 70 or 112 tables i believe this this uh year 112 and, uh, tables wow yeah it's turned into I, I think that's what the number is i can't remember off the top of my head but it's a it's turned into a big thing there's uh waitresses walk around there's f- full open bar it's a very fun yet it's a very competitive tournament uh three-day event that uh, I'll be producing tables and I will be putting those on my website for sale um, beforehand and after if I don't sell them at the show. Um, nice. And I don't know if you know, but uh, back in the day, not so long ago, I was uh, regular at Adepticon in Chicago and did, uh, did that four years in a row and won best display three years in a row. Oh, nice. Uh, one of which was... Uh, the biggest thing I'd done was the Red Orktober, which was a 14-foot <laughs> uh, long, 4-foot tall, 4-foot wide orc battleship that wow. uh, had lights and the whole nine yards. Um, there are links of it around. If you look it up, it's a pretty remarkable model I made, um, and it's it's worth taking a look at. That's awesome. So terrain is one of your other passions in this hobby, huh? Absolutely. I love I when you're making that kind of investment for these games and playing these games and the most beautiful models that you can buy, 
why not have a battlefield worth fighting for is my the way i think and back in 77 when star wars came out i was immediately hooked as to how do they do that you know how did they make that look so good mm-hmm. and as a seven-year-old boy i figured out it was like modeling is what i want to do and that's basically what led me into gaming that's uh, cool and you've made a whole career out of it uh yes absolutely I mean, gaming related at least Yes, I, I I did not play games much as a kid. I had Star Wars figures and GI Joes, and that was the thing I I really. But I spent most of my time uh, setting it up and making it look really cool before you know. Not never really played with the stuff. <laughs> <laughs> so now we have an excuse with dice and rulers and some rule sets to to play with our toy soldiers. Yeah. Well, I hope this interview didn't come off as too much of an infomercial, but like I said, I, I warned everybody ahead of time that I'm a big fan of your army transports, and that's just, you know, I'm just giving my my take on it. I mean, I, I hope it's not too heavy-handed <laughs> with, with you know, the infomercial, but uh, oh well. I'll also, I'd like to mention that last year you donated to Shorehammer's uh, prize support, you, know, you donated army transports to the prize support, which I greatly appreciated, and this year... You are going to be donating again, but this time we actually have a charity raffle uh, for prize support. So you'll be donating again this year, but for charity. So I, I thank you very much for being a supporter of uh, Shorehammer. And, you know, the the prizes are something that, you know, are a fun thing to do, especially now that it was a random drawing last year, but this year it will be a raffle. So you're not going to be getting anything in the random drawing that you don't want because you put your tickets in it. You know what I mean? So um, I'm very excited about that. And I, I know a lot of people are excited about our new whole raffle system and, and all of our sponsors donating things. So I appreciate you uh, donating, you know, transports last year and transports this year, but this year is for charity. So I am very, very happy to be part of that. Um, I, if it wasn't such a trek and from Atlanta up to Maryland to do it, I, I in fact, I mentioned it to my gaming group and we're considering per, probably maybe doing it next year. Oh, that would be awesome. Uh, I might bring up a group of six or eight of us to come play. Um, my uh, honeymoon is scheduled for the week before, so it might be kind of hard for people <laughs> to press on getting that. Um, while the boys and my wife are, are competitive players and want to get involved, um, we might have to postpone that to the following year. Ah, well, congratulations then. Well, thank That's you. exciting. That's exciting news. It is. I'm uh, happier than I've ever been. Well, that's good to hear. Um, you know, you are just like anybody else I've met pretty much in this hobby that everybody, you know, you say you love Games Workshop and all that. And so do I, obviously. And, you, you know, not everybody you meet in life seem to be nice people. There's a lot of assholes in life. But in the gaming community, nearly anybody that I've had contact with, whether it be Frontline Gaming, Game at EU, Trains for Games, Sable, Army Transport, uh, just, you know, uh, Spellcrow, all these people, uh, Cromlech would be another one. Everybody is super, super nice. They're just, and I don't know if it's because we're all nerds and, you know, nerds tend to be nicer people, I think, because of shyness and, and social awkwardness. But um, everyone seems nice. Everyone I've, I've talked to has been really chill and really nice. So it gives me a little bit, you know, sometimes I get down about the human race, but usually when I'm talking to nerds, everyone's pretty chill. <laughs> Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm a grumpy get off my lawn guy hands down I, I'm, I'm owning it I love that that, I, that that's who I am these days um, 
Indeed, it has been uh, quite a wonderful journey being involved in nerd culture as it has obviously gotten very popular and very, quote, healthy, as it, as you will. Um, I didn't have, you know, was not really a nerd in, in school or anything, but I embraced what I liked with the people that I knew that I liked to be hanging with. And the the culture itself is just, it's it's strong and good. And it's just something that is a way of escaping the drudge of real life and playing some games and, you know, talking about things that are silly and, you know, not important to, you know, your jocks, if you will. Yeah. It's a wonderful thing. And I'm always real excited about, uh, as I was saying earlier with, um, with Shadespire and Warcry and some of the, you know, the smaller games that GW does, they're, they've really figured out, I think in, in, in my opinion that they've done a very good job as to help create new blood. And that's what this hobby always needs is more new blood. Uh, there's news of uh, some media sources of TV series or other things that they plan on doing. And I think that uh, can only do better for us to make our passion of our hobbies a, a, a stronger presence in the quote real world. I agree. I very much appreciate you uh, coming on. All right. Take care.